This morning's scripture reading is from Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Preserve in fair. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be peaceable with all. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are in the midst of of three weeks where we're going to be talking about who we are to one another, what it means to be a part of of the Christian community and what it means to be a part of here, this neighborhood in Redondo Beach. Our, Our teacher through this time is, of course, Mr. Rogers, the neighbor we all wish we had. Uh, St. Augustine once said, or at least it's attributed to him, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. The Christian faith, if it is anything, is a faith that is lived out. It's, It's not necessarily something that's just spouted about here in these holy places, but rather it is something that we do out in our lives, and in the way that we treat one another, it should be evident that we are people of Christ's love, people of Christ's mercy, people of Christ's compassion. That is, that's our mission. And Mr. Rogers, or shall we say Reverend Rogers, was somebody who taught generations of children how to live out kindness and mercy. He did it not by telling them the parables of Jesus, though he certainly could have done that. He did it in the way that he looked in each child's eye, and he took them seriously. He taught them about something that we would today call emotional intelligence, or EQ, as psychologists now call it. You know, we've certainly known a lot about IQ over the years of an intelligent quotient, quotient, but 
What does it mean to be emotionally intelligent? To be a person who recognizes human emotions in other people, who regulates their own emotions in a way that is uh, responsible and caring, who doesn't use their own pain as a source of being vindictive, who monitors their own frustration in a way, way that's appropriate, that, that sympathizes with other people and whatever is going on in their lives. Those are uh, qualities of emotional intelligence. Fred Rogers was known to say that what is mentionable is manageable. And so he would teach children, how do you respond when you're angry? That we, it's okay to be angry, and it's okay to talk about being angry. And when we can talk about it, we can manage it. So what's mentionable is manageable. We live in a time where we espouse that. We, we think that people should be emotionally intelligent, and yet we are okay with bad emotional behavior. People treat one another unkindly. Mr. Rogers was about teaching people, all of us really, and it's certainly not Mr. Rogers. I hope it's what the church has been doing a long time about how to be emotionally intelligent, how to make good choices, how to be sensitive and in tune with one another. So last Sunday, I, I played you a little video clip of Mr. Rogers talking to a child in a wheelchair. This Today, we're going to play a clip from Mr. Rogers not talking to children, but talking to college graduates. He was a, a graduate of Dartmouth College, and so he went back to give a commencement address at his, um, at his college and share some beautiful words of wisdom with these young college students. In the midst of it, now Mr. Rogers, um, he was a person who practiced a great deal of solitude in his own life and quiet reflection time, and he offers that in the middle of this talk. And we're not going to fast forward through that. Because I want us to be thinking about, because he's going to ask a question of the college students, and I'm going to say it's for you to answer too uh, in, your, in your own time. So let's watch this clip from Mr. Rogers, and then we'll talk a little bit more. I'm very much interested in choices and what it is and who it is that enable us human beings to make the choices we make all through our lives. What choices lead to ethnic cleansing? What choices lead to healing? What choices lead to the destruction of the environment, the erosion of the Sabbath, suicide bombings, or teenagers shooting teachers? What choices encourage heroism in the midst of chaos? I have a lot of framed things in my office which people have given to me through the years. and On my walls are Greek and Hebrew and Russian and Chinese. And beside my chair is a French sentence 
from Saint-Exupéry's Little Prince. It reads, L'essentiel est invisible pour les yeux. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Well, what is essential about you? And who are those who have helped you become the person you are? Anyone who has ever graduated from a college, anyone who has ever been able to sustain a good work, has had at least one person, and often many, who have believed in him or her. We just don't get to be competent human beings without a lot of different investments from others. I'd like to give you all an invisible gift, a gift of a silent minute to think about those who have helped you become who you are today. Some of them may be here right now, some may be far away. Some, like my astronomy professor, may even be in heaven. But wherever they are, if they've loved you and encouraged you and wanted what was best in life for you, they're right inside yourself. And I feel that you deserve quiet time on this special occasion to devote some thought to them. So let's just take a minute in honor of those who have cared about us all along the way. One silent minute. whomever you've been thinking about, imagine how grateful they must be that during your silent times you remember how important they are to you. It's not the honors and the prizes and the fancy outsides of life which ultimately nourish our souls. It's the knowing that we can be trusted that we never have to fear the truth, that the bedrock of our lives from which we make our choices is very good stuff. There's a neighborhood song that is meant for the child in each of us. 
And I'd like to give you the words of that song right now. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your caps and gowns. They're just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you. Your skin. Your eyes. Your feelings. Whether old or new. I hope that you remember. Even when you're feeling blue. That it's you I like. It's you yourself. It's you. It's you I like. And what that ultimately means, of course, is that you don't ever have to do anything sensational for people to love you. When I say it's you I like, I'm talking about that part of you that knows that life is far more than anything you can ever see or hear or touch. That deep part of you that allows you to stand for those things without which humankind cannot survive. Love that conquers hate. Peace that rises triumphant over war and justice that proves more powerful than greed. So in all that you do, in all of your life, I wish you the strength and the grace to make those choices which will allow you and your neighbor to become the best of whoever you are. Congratulations to you all. It's a beautiful thing to see that even as he... I could use some lights in here. Uh, even as he is speaking, preaching to kids 20 years later... He's saying the same message, honoring their worth and talking about what is essential in life. He, um, you know, I've watched a lot of Mr. Rogers lately. <laughs> I have been looking at some old videos of him, and he often quotes that, that quote that was on his desk, that that which is in, uh, essential is invisible to the eye. In an interview with Charlie Rose, um, Charlie Rose asks him, what is essential to you? And, you know, that, that we don't see what's essential. And Mr. Rogers talked about, well, you don't see that I get up at 5.30 in the morning to pray and to have quiet time or that I go to the gym at... 7.30 to swim for an hour. And you don't see my relationships with my neighbors. And you certainly don't see my family, whom I love and who loves me back well. 
It made me think about the things that are essential in all of our lives because none of us get to the point of being able to love other people without being well-loved, without all of those things that go behind us, hopefully a practice of prayer that, that centers and guides your spirit, hopefully a community of love and forgiveness that you live with and that you worship with, that you call your family and your friends. In our worshipful reflections notes in the back of the bulletin, there are questions about who are those people that have helped you become who you are? The question that Mr. Rogers asked the the graduates there. And you might think about that. What is most essential to who you are? What values and ideals would you hope inform the person that you are in the world? I'm always well aware that I have, in this time, less than an hour on Sundays, usually, to share the Christian message of who you are, to share the Christian ideals, for us to think together about what it means to be Christian community for one another and out in the world. But then there are all those other hours throughout the week that we are infused with other messages about who we are and who we should be in the world. I hope that as you're hearing those other messages, whether they are consumerist messages or political messages or other ones, you're filtering all of them through the gospel that all of those things are sort of aligned and squared against the truth of Christ. Paul writes in Romans 12, our, our passage today, he describes uh, what in, in my Bible hopefully calls the marks of a true Christian, this section. This section from, from the book of Romans sounds like it could be straight out of the Sermon on the Mount. It sounds like the list of what it looks like to be a Christian that Jesus describes in Matthew 5 and 6. When I was in youth group, or when I've done church camps or stuff with youth, we often have a, what we call a behavioral covenant, a covenant of, uh, that we agree that how we're going to treat one another uh, in youth group or this week or, you know, what, what are going to be the norms of our community. This strikes me as Paul setting the norms for the Christian community of what we ought to look like what, what the norms and the standards ought to be for Christians. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Love can't be genuine if it is not uh, responding against evil. Love that allows evil to perpetuate is not love. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, but be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and extend hospitality to strangers. Really, this looks like something like if you, I don't know, went to a Christian bookstore, they'd have all these little sayings like, I don't know, needle pointed on pillows or something like that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. We don't put that one on pillows. Hmm. Uh, 
Do not repay evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. All of these things that sort of remind us back over again what is essential in our lives to love one another, to outdo one another in showing love and kindness. When I had the children come up with a list of what what they could do to show kindness, I would ask all of you the same things. What would it look like in our behavioral covenant? What would it look like for us as a church to live with that same kind of kindness to one another. Imagine how the church would be transformed. There was a um, uh, a ancient story about uh, a community, uh, a monastic community that was um, seeming to be dying. They were down to just a few monks. I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. And they were down to just a few monks and the, the father, the superior of the community, spoke to a wise rabbi about what to do about the fall of his monastic order. And the rabbi said, the Messiah is in your midst. And he went back to his community and the brothers that were gathered there. And he said, well, I don't know what to make of what the rabbi said, but he said, the Messiah is in our midst. And they all looked around at each other and wondered, is it Brother David? Is he the Messiah? Could be Brother Joe over here. I don't know. What? And so, but just on the odd chance that one of them was the Messiah, they started to show deference to one another, to love one another, to serve one another, to show extraordinary kindness and respect to one another. And suddenly the whole spirit of their community changed and those who came to to visit and wander around the monastic grounds were were drawn by what they saw there in that community they were drawn by the way this community loved one another and they started to add a few more to their community and a few more and a few more and suddenly this monastic community that had been on its way out was reborn because they outdid one another in showing affection because one of them might be the Messiah and indeed the Messiah may be in this room. I don't doubt it. Not in the literal sense, but in the sense that we are Christ's community. We are here to be brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. Paul provides a lovely template, a behavioral covenant, a sense of what it means to live in this Christian community. It is countercultural. Countercultural. It doesn't look like what we read about in the newspapers or see on the news. Rather, the Christian community is bound by these commandments of love and kindness, of mutual respect and affection. We don't see a whole lot of that out in the in the the political sphere and in our in our sort of what we see on the news. But this is outdoing one another, lifting up the lowly, serving one another, showing hospitality to strangers. What would it look like for us here at Riviera if we were to create this neighborhood, if we were to live in this reality, this reality 
that is countercultural. It doesn't, it's not only countercultural, it's counterintuitive. We like to provoke vengeance and uh, to, to be haughty and to be full of ourselves. But what would it look like if we were to become the body of Christ that Paul describes? I want to encourage us to continue to do our homework, to continue to be people who reflect on what does it mean to live out this gospel, to be neighbors to those who live across the street. I like to look out from my my perch here. I can see our, our neighbors and apartments behind us, our friends out walking dogs and going about their Sunday mornings. What will it mean for us to be good neighbors in this community? What will it mean for to be good neighbors to our people that are sitting next to us here in this church? What will it mean for us to extend kindness and compassion and hospitality, not only to one another, but to strangers? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is the community of Christ. Mr. Rogers referred to it as the neighborhood. We refer to it as the kingdom of God. It is the sense of what it means to be in community as Christian people together, being in in the world as God would have us to be. I commend your homework to you. This faith stuff is not stuff that we just do here in this hour and Sunday morning and walk away, but it's stuff that we should be reflecting and and using as a point of renewal in our own life and faith and commitment to Christian discipleship. Let us pray. God, you call us, you call us always to be a community of kindness. You tune our hearts, God, to a way of living that reflects your grace and your mercy. All of this doesn't necessarily fit with our world, and so, God, we are called to be a light, to be ambassadors of your peace to be persons who bear witness to love and compassion in the midst of cruelty and apathy. God, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to us when we become hardened. Show us, God, how we might love and serve one another. Show us our neighbors, God, that we might bear witness to love. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.